Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Nutrition Diva podcast today. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel, and this is episode number 700. And a lot has changed in the world of food and nutrition in the 15 years that I've now been doing this podcast, but a lot hasn't. Diet trends come and go, but the low-carb approach has proven to have a lot of staying power. From Atkins to South Beach to the now-trending ketogenic diet, low-carb diets promote quick weight loss by strictly limiting your intake of foods containing carbohydrates. And this includes foods that otherwise contribute a lot of largely empty calories to the diet, things like sweetened beverages, baked goods, candy, and desserts. But it also limits your intake of a lot of healthful, nutritious foods, things like legumes, whole grains, starchy vegetables, and fruit. Very low-carbohydrate diets tend to suppress the appetite, which obviously makes it easier to cut calories, leading to weight loss. And a low-carb diet also initially leads to significant loss of water weight. Now, this is obviously not fat loss, and it isn't the sort of weight loss that improves your health. But the rapid change in body weight at the beginning of a low-carb diet definitely gives dieters a sense of accomplishment. The problem is that if and when dieters resume eating carbohydrate-containing foods, both the water and some of the weight tend to come right back on. So unless you're willing to eat low-carb for the rest of your life, the weight loss is likely to be unsustainable. Now, another criticism of the low-carb diet is that it can be quite low in fiber. Now, back in the 1970s, when Robert Atkins first popularized low-carb dieting, the microbiome was not a thing. Although low-carb dieters often complained of constipation, we weren't particularly worried about the effects of a low-fiber diet on our gut microbes. Now, of course, we are much more aware of the many roles that these microbes play in our health, everything from regulating our body weight and our blood sugar to impacting our mood. But where there's a will, there's a way. Or more accurately, where there's a market, products will be created to serve it. And that is why you will now find shelf after shelf of low-carb, keto-friendly breads, cookies, noodles, muffin mixes, and candy bars. These products make it easier for low-carb dieters by replacing all the foods that they used to have to do without. Now, in order to create low-carb candy and bread, manufacturers replace sugar with artificial sweeteners and sugar alcohols. And the flour in those baked goods is replaced by a whole slew of modified starches from wheat, corn, chicory, and other plants, as well as synthetic fibers sourced from wood pulp and other non-food plants. As a result, a lot of keto-friendly foods can be quite high in fiber. Now, for those who haven't tried them yet, I want to temper your expectations. You are not likely to mistake a carb-free sourdough baguette or a sugar-free chocolate for the real thing. And you may have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince that you can even tolerate. I've sampled some products that actually were okay for the first bite or sip, but then quickly lost their charm. But you know what? Taste is subjective, and you may find some that you like. And the longer it's been since you've eaten real bread or pasta or chocolate, the more acceptable you may find these substitutes. But if you're committed to a low-carb or a ketogenic lifestyle, well, 
You can't afford to be super choosy. Now, of course, you can follow a low-carb diet made up of whole foods that just happen to be low in carbohydrates instead of highly processed synthetic imitations of carbohydrate-rich foods. But judging from the increasing real estate given over to these products in grocery stores, it would appear that few keto enthusiasts are choosing this route. I recently got an email from Megan who wondered whether those keto products could be a good way to increase fiber intake even in a regular diet. She writes, my husband and I are trying to add more fiber to our diets and we found that some keto products are very high in fiber, but I'm suspicious that these products may be hiding something unhealthy. Are keto breads that are high in fiber good for you? Can they be safely integrated into your diet? Well, I certainly endorse the effort to add fiber to the diet. The recommended daily intake is 25 to 30 grams per day, and most people are only getting about half that much. And the list of health benefits attributed to dietary fiber just keeps getting longer. In addition to promoting regularity and heart health, higher fiber diets are linked to reduced inflammation, enhanced immune function, appetite and weight control, enhanced nutrient absorption, better blood sugar control, and even type 2 diabetes prevention. But are these keto-friendly products a good way to bump up your fiber intake? Well, as always, when someone asks me whether a certain food is good or bad, I have three follow-up questions for them. Number one, how much of it are you eating? Number two, what else are you eating? And number three, what would you be eating instead if you weren't eating that? So if you find these to be an acceptable substitute, I don't really see a problem with having a slice or two of keto-friendly toast with your eggs instead of regular bread or using low-carb tortillas in your quesadilla. And while a high-fiber, low-sugar, keto, quote-unquote, candy bar might be preferable, nutritionally anyway, to one that's low in fiber and higher in sugar, I still wouldn't consider it to be a good substitute for an actual meal. So these products might help you bump up your fiber intake, but they shouldn't be your only or even your primary source of fiber. For one thing, fiber is not really a single nutrient. It's a whole category of nutrients. Fiber can be soluble or insoluble, viscous or non-viscous, fermentable or non-fermentable, and each of those has different effects and benefits. So this is a situation where you want to play the field and get your fiber from a variety of sources and not rely entirely on a single food source or a fiber supplement. And secondly, those whole foods that are naturally high in fiber, which again include legumes, seeds, nuts, vegetables, and whole grains, they contain a lot more than just fiber. They also provide a wide array of other vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients that you'd be missing out on if you're getting most of your fiber from highly processed foods that contain isolated or synthetic fiber sources. And in the show notes for today's episode, I have a link to a related resource, which just shows you the fiber content of all different kinds of common foods. So I want to thank Megan for that great question. And if you have a question you'd like me to tackle, send me an email at nutrition at quickanddirtytips.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail at 443-961-6206. I love to hear from you. 
Nutrition Diva is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Nathan Sems with script editing by Adam Cecil. And my thanks also to Holly Hutchings, Davina Tomlin, Morgan Christensen, and Cameron Lacey. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. And remember to eat something good for me.